Do you want to capture meaningful conversations that you care about? Spotify for Podcasters allows you to make a podcast super effortlessly, distribute it automatically everywhere, completely free, and even earn money doing it. Did I say free while making money? What happened to capitalism? Use your phone or computer, hit press record, upload, and start creating today. You can also monetize your podcast super effortlessly through features like ads and subscriptions through the platform. If you have been following the Discover More journey, you know that I've been using Spotify for Podcasters since 2020. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to spotify.com slash podcasters. Spotify.com slash podcasters to start creating immediately. When there's darkness and there's a loss of hope, like there has to be an opportunity for something. And it's mindset and it's drive. And it is honestly, it was hitting rock bottom to make me get off my butt and do something different, right? I was like, I can't just sit here and be depressed. Like I got to do something. I am grateful for the changes it made in my life. I'm grateful that I came to LA. Welcome to Discover More Podcast a community for seekers of curiosity and mental health insights. I am your host, Benoit Kim, a trilingual Korean-American veteran and former policymaker. I became a clinician after witnessing the non-negotiable of mental health and nuanced perspectives in our everyday life. I intend to connect and dissect the intricacies of mental health by talking to the most fascinating humans I can possibly find. Congratulations on choosing curiosity over complacency. Let's get this started. This week's guest is Christine Lee. Christine is an IMDb verified actress and model and is the co-founder of her company, The Dahlia's Entertainment, a professional circus entertainment troupe. As a Korean-American, Christine is truly a unicorn for leaving her prestigious and cushy tech job at Microsoft for circus performance art. Yes, you heard that right. Honestly, one of the craziest pivot stories I've ever heard from someone who went through two career pivots myself. You can find Christine's commercial work in Mercedes, LinkedIn, Honda, just to name a few. And recently, Christine also finished filming for Meta, Facebook's national AAPI campaign. This episode embodies the ethos of taking pivots in life, facing certain major uncertainties, prioritizing one's calling and mental health, and much more. Christine, congratulations on all your successes lately, and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So for the fact that you've traveled and traversed through all these different places to perform, what do you think is a setting or environment that you prefer to perform the best? Maybe certain cities have the best cheerleaders as of the audience, and some people, you just like the setting naturally better. Do you have any uh, setting or environmental preferences when you go on the road? Frankly, it's it's the people, right? It's the audience. It's people who are excited and curious and adventurous and and they want to see something different and new. So sometimes my favorite shows are the ones that are in the middle of nowhere because it's the first time they've seen live entertainment. They've maybe seen Cirque du Soleil on TV or on YouTube and they've just never seen it in person. And and you see the stars in their eyes and you see the kids light up and, and you know, especially for kids, like this will actually change their life. They're going to remember this for the rest of their life. So, I mean, anywhere, I think circus could work anywhere, but I do love going to those areas where it's kind of that first time. I think it's interesting because I had to do a lot of research on circus, area performance, different tiers and categories within the circus realm. 
because I'm a 90s child. So I feel like circus has been a large, a dying art, right? Of course, with animals, cruelty, the animal circus is less and less now as they should be. But there's no animal cruelty involved in your art. But why is circus, as I said, a, a large dying art so special to you and you chose to double down on this very unique path? I actually want to be controversial here and say that it's not a dying art. I think it is growing. It is scaling. It is, I mean, when I first started doing it, I started doing trapeze 16 years ago. It was like, no one knew what this was. Like it was completely to the side. I was taking classes. Like everyone I would tell that this is my hobby at that point were completely blown away. Um, but now thanks to the greatest showman lots of different things that have kind of made it a little more mainstream. Like I remember on Sex and the City when Carrie took a trapeze class, changed everything. And like Pink is out there doing that. Lindsay Sterling. It's like all these amazing artists are, are bringing circus to the forefront. And I actually love it. A lot of people are like, do you think it cheapens circus? I'm like, no, no. Like it actually gets the word out. It's more circus for everyone. So I actually think that this is one of the most exciting times where now when someone's planning a holiday party, they're thinking like, should we bring in circus performers? And it, it's becoming a little more normalized and it's huge for our industry. I like how you mentioned Lindsay Sterling. I'm a huge fan of her violin and she's a very talented individual, right? And I forgot, I haven't thought about that name for maybe eight, nine years uh, because she was one of the first ones to leverage YouTube to break it through, right? As entertainment, as an artist. And I do remember she had some very cool performance that she does along with her violin. Um, so how do you talk about you think it's a growing art, right? And you think you love when different people incorporate different elements to make this art bigger and bigger as time goes on. Now, how do you view that intersectionality then with different artists bringing their own schools of training under this giant umbrella of circus? Because as you said, the context is always shifting. Yeah, no, I love it. And I guess it kind of comes to the question of, you know, what is circus? <laughs> a lot of people are like, what do you mean you're a circus artist? What does that mean? Um, and circus is like everything. It is aerial, it is acrobatics, clowning, juggling, stilting, magic, right? Everything, kind of anything I think that's outside of what the norm is, creative, like literally anything could be the circus. So I love seeing that influence in all the different things in pop culture and media. Um, I think it's important, right? I think it's, it's a great way to, um, you know, change up the norm. Like Lindsay Sterling, I love that she has this amazing electric violin, but she also is hanging from her hair and performing. Like what like what a crazy juxtaposition. So yeah, I, I definitely love that kind of Venn diagram of circus in the world. I feel like a lot of circus artists, including yourself, is a remix masters because you have to remix different elements, right? So speaking of remixing, uh, I want to hit you with the juiciest question, right? The, the crazy pivoting stories and what that entails. Can you, at this time, can you recall the specific, that I'm guessing very visceral, vivid moments when you got this undeniable intuitive whisper saying that, Christine, Christine, you're not following the right path. Do something else. Can you recall that moment and share it with us? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I guess I'll kind of start way back when I'll start back 16 years ago when this all started, because I think it'll give it more context into how I made that decision. But it started, 
Let's see. When I was living in New York City in 2006, at that point, I had a corporate job working at Microsoft, was doing the kind of quintessential what my Korean parents would want from their daughter after graduating from UC Berkeley. Everything was good. Uh, And I was taking trapeze classes on the side and I loved it. Like it was my passion, my hobby, the thing that I really felt almost an identity with. And after a couple, probably about a year and a half into training and this being a big part of my life, that's when I went on vacation with a few other trapeze friends in the Caribbean to a resort that had flying trapeze. Uh, So when I was out there, I was training, I was doing shows, performing, and I was so happy. Like I, I just felt so at home. I was surrounded by people who love what they do and Like, I still loved my job at Microsoft, but I was like very confused. I was like, what is my purpose? What is my life? Uh, And the last night that I was there, the head of the Flying Trapeze Troop pulled me aside and was like, Christine, we want to hire you. Our whenever Flying Trapeze Girls is going back to New Zealand, we we want you to be part of the troop. And I kind of laughed at him. Kevin, like, so cute, but I work in tech. And he was just like, well, like, really think about it. Like, you have something special for this. Okay. And that was kind of the first twinkle where I'm like, ooh, something feels funny here. Um, and I left and it was like the most emotional leaving of the resort. I was like looking out the car crying. I'm like, oh, this is, there's a lot, there's a lot going inside of me. And then I get to New York City, I get back, I go into my first day of work after vacation. I remember opening up my computer, just like exhausted and kind of again, confused about what was going on. And I opened up my inbox and saw like, thousands of emails. I'm like, oh gosh, I can't, I can't do this. And I opened up my personal inbox just to check in at the top of my inbox was a note from the circus saying, here's your contract. We'd really love for you to start immediately. And I just remember like looking at both screens being like, I'm going to take it. <laughs> like I'm just going to go, which is crazy given how my family is and my life. And I literally looked at it. And usually I'm, I'm like the kind of person who thinks through everything, but I just looked at it and just walked into my manager's office and put in a tweet of this and told them what I was doing. And they probably thought I had lost my mind, but they knew that I, <laughs> and they're like, are you sure? Like, do you want to think about this? I'm like, no, I'm like more sure than anything. And I was like crying and I've never cried in the office before. I was so professional at that point, but I just like let loose. And I was like, this is my calling. This is exactly what I'm going to do. And I'm so glad I did it. I I mean, there's so much that's happened since then, but it's completely changed my life for the better. And I'm so glad I did. Yeah. I, of course you shared some surface level context during our discovery call like a month ago. But man, hearing the full scope of that like gives me chills because A, you talked about you're someone who likes to think a lot and who have a lot of forethought. You like to prepare things as you move forward. But sounds like this was the first time you didn't lean into your overthinking tendencies and you just let your heart guide your path. So there's a lot that I want to hit one by one. But first thing I want to ask you, Christine, is you talked about Kevin. He's the one who pulled you saying that, hey, our, our performance artist has moved back to New Zealand. I want you to fill in her spot. Was that the first time that someone validated you for a non-traditional path in your whole life up, up to that point? That's a deep one. I, I would say actually, yes, um, in terms of like a full life change. 
I think growing up, things like doing gymnastics or cheer squad, things like those were like mini moments that kind of helped me get into a hobby or show me what I love, but I, I still didn't jump ship. And this was the first person who I was like, this person believes in me. Like this person's going to help me. This person, I'm going to grow with this person. We're going to grow together. Um, and it's so funny. He's the most unassuming guy. His name is Kevin Hudson. I hope you're watching and listening out there. He's a big Jamaican dude who is so strong and the most amazing flying trapeze performer, coach, catcher, uh, aerialist. And he taught me so much. Um, but yeah, he believed in me and he, I mean, the story will come later of how I went back and joined the troop and grew, but he completely changed my course of life. And I'm so grateful for him. Yeah, I asked that question because I've done this for three years. So a lot of certain themes of life and in life often come across from different walks of life, whether it's tech, entrepreneurship, psychotherapy, business, there's always this consistent theme of validations that a lot of these amazing guests, including yourself, all had someone or something affirming their path along the way. And a lot of times these affirmations happen when they're dealing with the highest level of uncertainties. That's why I'm spiritual by nature, because you can call it synchronicity, serendipity, coincidences, luck, but I believe there's something there. And I think your story um, affirms with that. So what is trapeze? If you can give a high level definition to novices and new newbies like us, and also what about it specifically that gave you this calling, this unmatched joy and dopamine for someone who already has been doing cool things in life, right? Absolutely. So just to explain trapeze versus aerial. So trapeze is the first thing I did, flying trapeze. I mean, it is so much fun. You are going 30 feet in the sky, jumping off a board, flying through the sky, sometimes being caught by someone, sometimes being thrown back. It is scary. It is fun. It is energizing. Uh, it feels like living. It, it is probably still my favorite thing to do. Um, but I would say it was a combination of that and aerial because aerial is a little different in that it's a little bit more of a dance. It's more choreo. It's more creative. Uh, it's funny. Uh, whenever I train aerial and if anyone's ever there, they're always like, why are you listening to such sad music? <laughs> <laughs> it's emotional. Like performing aerial is such a heart filled thing where like people are expecting me to be playing like pop music or something. I know I'm like, I like, I want to feel when I perform. So a combination of flying trapeze, which is a little more technical. It's, it's a little more like my gymnastics background where it's like, you got to stick your landing. It's all about form, power, force, strength, which I love, but that coupled with aerial, which is creative and movement. And yes, it's super technical and hard and requires a ton of training, but it's, it's different. It's like, you're feeling it. Uh, versus with flying trapeze, like it is you're training your body to act a certain way every single time. Um, but I would say with both, like it, it completely fills me. Like I go like immediately into a flow state where everything else disappears and it's, it's therapy. <laughs> like it, it literally calms my soul. Yeah. Uh, because I'm a clinician at trait, a very popular clinical healing modality that's becoming more popularized now is a creative therapy or performance therapy. Whether it's expressive art, whether it's you're just doodling by yourself with a therapist or like you, very active action-based. And whatever provides healings, it works, period. There is no superior or inferior form of therapy, whatever suits your needs. 
So on that note, uh, I have a question. This is a personal curiosity. If it doesn't land anywhere, I take full responsibility. So as you talked about, you feel alive when you're flying 30 feet up, you know, getting caught by someone else, which sounds, I'm a veteran, so I have a pretty high risk and tolerance for risk, but this sounds pretty scary to me. Um, so like, because of these, your profession provides so much dopamine releases for you. Because a lot of artists who perform on stage, whether it's musicians or otherwise, they always tell me that after they perform, they can't fall asleep because of the insane level of dopamine release. They're on this performance high for hours to come. For you, how do you find other activities in life that match these dopamine release that you do when you're doing crazy stunts on the 30 feet in the air? <laughs> That's a great question. And it's funny because I had a show yesterday and I could not sleep last night. So you literally are uh, describing my lifestyle. Like, in a way, I'm addicted to these highs, right? Like, I love performing, but it doesn't actually cheapen everything else, right? Like, all the things that I love doing, I get a high from, right? Whether it's rock climbing or traveling or spending time with friends. Like, it's just like, it's like that. Like, <laughs> this sounds so weird, but it's like, in from an energy level, like performing, it's like a 10, right? But it doesn't make the rest of my life, which I would say is like a seven or an eight feel like a two, right? Like, like I don't need that to stay balanced. It's just like an extra, like, I'm just grateful for that. But yeah, I, I would say that, in fact, like, dare I say, before doing circus at all, I was probably a five or a six, like just in general, whatever activities. And then circus is like a 10. But it made the rest of my life actually feel better. Like it actually wasn't a roller coaster of like, well, everything else is boring. It's more like, no, everything else is just better. So yeah, I think from a mental health standpoint, like it makes sense that there is performance therapy because it brings up the high across the board. And it's, yeah, it's something that I'm, again, super grateful for. It's amazing. So you're describing certain elements of CBT, cognitive behavior therapy where you replace a certain activities or certain pillars of your life without being drastically different, right? You're not tearing the whole house down and rebuild one. You're tweaking the wall, the colors, the decor. As you said, by replacing a certain pillars, you can increase everything else that you're doing. And a lot of people, I think, to put too much emphasis on, oh, to change my life, I have to be dramatic. It has to be from zero to 100. It's like, no, find one thing that you love and incrementally, it uh, spills over to all the other aspects of your life. Absolutely. Such a believer in that. Um, do you have any specific ritual that you follow right before you hop on stage or right before your call comes on to say, oh, Christine, step on stage? A lot of seasoned performers that I know that I've had on the show, they all have something that might, could be funny, could be irrational, but to them, it just works. So they adhere to that ritual. Do you have anything that comes to mind? That's a great question. It also changes depending on the act that I'm doing. So if I'm doing a ground act versus an aerial act, it's completely different. I mean, this is a less interesting answer, but obviously as a person who does contortion and aerial, I have to stretch. So I stretch till the last second before performing. And it's not just like simple stretching, but it's actually exactly what I'm going to be using in my act. It is funny because I'm a very friendly, generally outgoing person, but backstage right before showtime, no one talks to me because <laughs> I'm like, 
I need a second. <laughs> like I'm, I've got my headphones in, I'm playing my music, and I'm running through my acts in my head. So it's something I kind of have to do. Uh, of course, the intensity is higher when it's an act that I'm not as confident with. And if it's an act I've just done every day, like then I actually don't need anything when I'm totally fine backstage. But generally, I'm, I'm running through music, running through cues, like counting, and then stretching at the same time. But nothing, nothing too out there. Nothing like I rub my head or I throw salt over it. Nothing. Yeah, just um, yeah, pretty pretty standard. Gotcha. You don't pray to the gods of circus beforehand to make sure your 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 performance goes well. <laughs> I don't have time to think about it. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense though because you have to do a lot. Like a lot of things contribute to flow state. That's a concept I study pretty in depthly about. We're not going to talk about it because I've had many episodes about flow state before. But I do think that it makes sense to adhere to whatever you're doing to that moment. And Tony Robbins calls it priming. There's different terms to describe what you do, but it does sound like you at least follow something that you've been tested, stress tested, so you know it will work when it matters. I wanna take a slight pivot into a similar train in terms of your performance, in terms of how you stay peak and optimal with what you do. I think a lot of that requires decision-making, Christine, right? It's a twofold question. You can take whatever way you like, and it's a pretty vast question. So first thing that comes to my mind is calculated risk, because I think taking calculated risk is one of the most important decision making anyone could do in life, whether it's professional or interpersonal. So how do you view calculated risk and why do you think it's important, given, as you said, you're from a tech, Microsoft, very rigorous, very calculated thinking aspect into this more flow, more fluid, right, more intuitive profession, so to call. So how do you balance and how do you approach making decisions through a calculated risk lens? It's a great question. So calculated risk is probably one of the most important things in my trying to make a living doing this. So I'll kind of break this down into a few different parts. So calculated risk of jumping ship and doing this in the first place. So I'm very fortunate in that I had a tech job, I had savings, and I was able to jump ship and just try to do circus full time. And at that point in my life, it was the right thing to do. Like it was calculated in that I was taking a risk to completely change my career, but I wasn't going to be living paycheck to paycheck, at least for a little bit. So I knew that I was investing in myself, investing in training, trying to get ideally really good so I can make more money in the future. But I was at the point in my career where I was okay to do that. But working with a lot of other artists, I know it's not necessarily the same. Someone's coming from a background where they don't have savings and they want to do circus right away. It sounds crazy, but I'll actually say, maybe think about a different path. Maybe find a part-time job where you could get insurance and income and then train on the side until you could hit that point where you'll be able to make a living from doing this. Uh, so just the decision of doing circus full time is um, it was hard, uh, but again it was calculated, it was risky, but at that point in my life it was the right decision. And even now I have to be very conscious of what kind of gigs I take and how do I make a living. So right now as a performer, I'm doing a bunch of different things. I I run the circus true with my right now my co-founder. There there were four of us that started the true, but right now there's kind of two of us that are last one standing because the other two had kids and are taking a little break from from running the troop. Uh, they're still with us, but yeah, I would say the running of the troop, running of the company is really important. 
because we were acting as an agency, we're hiring talent, we're doing much larger scale events. uh, And that is so much fun. And I love it. But it's definitely a little more stable income than when I'm just doing like a theater show, which I love. So doing a smaller theater show where like, for example, there's a troupe that I work with, and I absolutely love called the Vespertine Circus. uh, And we do shows like Rocky Horror Circus Show and I'm in character there and it's creative. It's fun. It's with the most amazing people. And that, like that for me, that's where my heart is. Like the theater shows, the smaller shows, the creative acts, like thinking it, like pushing the border, doing something a little weird for me, that that's my favorite. Um, but that doesn't make enough for me to survive, like not even close. So for me, in terms of how I choose my gigs on a day-to-day basis, like I want a combination of doing corporate gigs, which do pay a little more. And I like to teach as well. So that's another kind of consistent income. And then the theater shows are like my life. So I like to balance it out where I'm doing it all and ideally being able to make an income. So it is calculated risk in that I'm, it is risky. I still might not make a month where I, my income is higher than my expenses, but based on how I try to prioritize it right now, it's kind of working out. (laughs) Yeah. For people who don't live in LA or California for the listeners, making a business and being a small business owner in California is really tough. Right. Even for having LLC registered, you have to pay minimum $800 every single year just to maintain your LLC. I learned that through my LLC's transfer from Pennsylvania to LA. And it's like $10, $20 maintenance fee in PA. It's $800 here. And there's, of course, a lot of layers to that. But that's amazing. The I asked that question because I think with... sound bites becoming more popular, headliner culture becoming more and more pervasive. A lot of younger folks, maybe when they listen to this podcast, they're like, oh man, Christine said no to Microsoft, following her heart. Now she's dancing in the winds quite literally in midair 30 feet. I'm going to do that. I'm going to drop out of school. It's like, no, even the best things people say is, oh, but Mark Zuckerberg, Bill Gates dropped out of school. I was like, did you know that they were on leave of absence and they had tremendous planning and calculus before they decided to drop out? So it's not very easy, but we live in the era of death of nuances. So I think nuances really matter. So I appreciate you contextualizing your decisions. Um, So on that note, I have another question for you, Christine. So, and here's a context for this question. I've had a lot of creatives on the show and who are successful in their own rights. They view having a creative avenue as in they're like, oh, I want to make this creative pathway my full-time nine to five. They want the creative path to replace the traditional path. A lot of that's their angle and they made it right. And now they're living life. But I also have equal amount of creatives who are still doing financial analysts during the day and they do ceramics or they do other art on the side or on the weekends because their way of thinking is by having a guaranteed financial baseline, it's not going to affect their creative avenue because they could do whatever they want without having that livelihood being considered. Because you talked about you almost do a gig for your own fulfillment and you do a gig for the sake of economics. So how do you view those different pathways? Of course, neither one is wrong or right. It's just whatever fits your circumstances. But do you have any thoughts on those two different approaches? Absolutely. I feel like this is something I talk about a lot because a lot of people are asking me like, oh, I'm doing circuits part-time and I'm taking classes at night. Like, should I jump ship? And I'm like, well, that's actually your choice. Like, it's really like as we talk about calculated risk, it's really up to the person. So for example, for me back in 2010 to 2016, I was still working in tech. Um, I worked at startups and this is so after I left Microsoft, then I took two years 
on contract performing. Then I came back to the States, to San Francisco. And then at that point, I went back to working in tech because I didn't have enough savings. And then I did circus part-time. And honestly, those six years were amazing. Like I was so fortunate to be able to have steady income and I was working at Google, free meals, massages, all the, you know, all the golden handcuffs. Um, ridiculous. I can't even remember what that's like anymore, but that, and then performing part-time. So I was teaching at the circus center in San Francisco every weekend. I was performing here and there at clubs. And I, like my heart was filled. Like I felt so balanced and I loved it. But then in like 2016, 2017, that's when something inside of me changed where I'm like, Ooh, I think I need more circus. I think I need to do this full time again. And like, I can't even explain what that moment was, but it was just the feeling inside of me where when I would go train or perform, like my energy was happy and light. And I, I did like my day job, but it just, it wasn't the same. Like I was feeling like, like a cog in a wheel, not making much impact. And I'm like, I think if I do circus full time right now, I think I can make it into a business. I think I could actually do this sustainably now. So, and again, I had enough information because I already knew what gig life was like. I already knew what my income could look like. And I'm like, I think I'm at that, that point where I can jump ship and I could make it work. Uh, and I'm so glad I did. So it's, it's one of those things where people ask me, like, when should I make that choice? I'm like, you're going to actually know. Like, you're going to know financially. You're going to know from the demand in the market for what you do. And then I definitely have friends that I'm like, I don't think they're ever going to make that jump because their balance is perfect. Like, I mean, I would even say my, my boyfriend, he, he works in PR, but he's a DJ. And I don't actually anticipate him ever jumping ship to be a DJ because he really loves his day job. And he also loves DJing and he has such a good balance of both. And that's a dream. Like, that is a 10 out of 10. And I consider my life a 10 out of 10, but to each their own, right? So I, I think both approaches are great. And I'm just so happy when I meet people that have both because a lot of people I meet are still like, I don't know what my passion are. I'm, I like, I don't know what it is and I want to find it. And, and those are the people I have the most like heart for because I'm like, you're going to find it. Like just every single week, do a different hobby, do a different activity, take a different class you'll feel it. You'll feel that moment where you're going to want to do this one day a week or more. Right. So, so yeah, I love that question. And I, I love talking to people about that as they're trying to make a decision or a transition. I feel like you will just know is one of the most timelessly cliche response because I, I used to have commitment issues and the current partner, my girlfriend, she's the first long-term partner I've ever been with in my 29 years of life. And I remember six months in, I asked maybe 20 different veteran couples, because I'm not afraid to ask questions. I asked them, when I feel the inkling to say I love you to my partner, how would I know that it's the right time? Because I wanted to bet against the possibility that when that moment is here, I can't conjure up the words. It's all about neural pathways, right? And every single one of them, I took them out to dinner. Some of them are very expensive. And they said, Benoit, you will just know. I was like, dude, do you know how expensive this dinner was? What a waste of... And then six months later, I had that moment and I just knew. So, you know, of course, shout out to all the friends who gave me very honest feedback, but I resonate that way deeply. Please keep the golden cuffs, uh, as you alluded to, all the massages, how these big tech literally keep you at the office all day, every day, so you never leave. I have a lot of friends at Google 
Uh, so we'll visit that topic. Uh, but before, I want to ask you about in terms of, as you said, your happiness level. Right now, you're at 10 out of 10. Can you maybe in a retrospect, like in a hindsight view, compare your happiness level until when you finally jumped the ship because the timing was right according to your context and your circumstances? So after 2016, post-2016, Christine, versus maybe pre, do you notice any level of a difference or a gap between your fulfillment or your happiness? Yeah, it's actually a, a deep question to think about. Your level of happiness, it's hard to put a number on it. But what I will say is that generally I'm a pretty happy person. I'm grateful that I have like the right endorphins in my body that I'm generally pretty happy. I would say general, I'm probably like a seven, seven or eight in general. And yes, now doing circus full time, like, and just loving what I do right now, I, I, it is a 10, which is so crazy to say, but there's a lot of people I know that would say they're at like a two or a three and they're constantly searching. They're like, I want to do that thing that turns me into a 10. And I hate to say it, but changing a career or choosing something isn't going to change everything, right? It's not going to change a person's level of happiness. And it sounds so cheesy and cliche, but like it does come from within right? It's like, I did love my tech job. I was happy, which is why I was generally seven or eight. But like, given how grateful I am for what I do, it's it's even more, right? So I feel like if a person is a two or three, like there's something else that needs to be worked on. <laughs> like I need to work on the happiness from within, whether it's the confidence or the peace or whatever life trauma, whatever it might be working with a therapist. But I think once a person's at like a five or a six, like that's actually the right time to meet someone the right time to make a career shift, like to run away from something and thinking whatever that next thing is, is going to save a person. I don't think that's healthy. Um, and again, I'm just grateful that I was not running away. Like people were like, did you hate your tech job? I'm like, no. They're like, oh, then why'd you leave? I'm like, because I like this more. Uh, not because this sucks. These people are terrible. No, I love the people I work with. And like, there's people watching right now. Like, I love you guys. Like, I love working in tech. But I like I have my heart with the circus. So, yeah. So I, I hope that answers kind of a, a greater question of the meaning of happiness. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that deep answer. And I just want to echo that to the large messaging board because I spent six years in policymaking in Philadelphia and I was the youngest policymaker slash program manager in my nonprofit agency ever in the agency's history. And the agency is like 80 years old. So I also took my clinical pivot during the highest of the peak, right? And because a lot of people ask that, I think they want to, they do it for themselves, right? They're like, oh, there must be a negative reason why they left. That's the only reason makes sense they left. Otherwise, why would you leave Google or Microsoft? It's like, not really. When you're in a good place in life, you start thinking and want to explore what else is out there, especially if you're young enough. And I think whether you're 30s, late 20s, life is so long, right? There's so much things you can do. So I just want to really highlight that because it's a very important fallacy or misconception to correct is not all pivots are predicated on worse or horrible circumstances. It's just you want to explore more. So let's visit the golden coughs, handcuffs concept you talked about. And I think you're the perfect person to ask, Christine, because you're not just a Korean American, but you spent in the Caribbeans, you spent in all these truly worldwide circus performance art. I share that because the golden handcuffs, it's a very American concept, yeah. right? You make 200K, 300K, 400K based on how many years you put in in Google 
and that also comes with the uh, vetting, uh, like the vesting options of a million over six years, all these things, right? And a lot of people that's not an American, even because I have a lot of international listeners, when they heard that number, it's unfathomable. They're like, what? You make 300K a year plus a million dollar in stock options over five years? Like, what? That's what? American dream. At the same time, fulfillment and happiness index in individuals like yourself in this very lavish, amazing, pedestalized profession, it's not that high, not always. So have you noticed any differences of like a fulfillment or happiness level, once again, similar to the previous one, but on more of a cultural level? Like when you're in America versus when you travel to other places, what have you absorbed and what have you noticed, the differences? Such an interesting question. So I I really think that, I guess this topic is really the definition of happiness and security in America versus other countries. And I would say that it's, it's always all relative, right? Like whatever is the norm in whatever country or culture you're in, it's all relative. Like when I've worked abroad, like I did like a, a smaller Peace Corps type of program in India for a couple months and people had nothing. Like I worked at an orphanage and kids had nothing. Families had nothing. And they were so happy. And I was like, they don't even complain. They don't need money. They are making live music with pots and pans and they're dancing on the streets. Like, what is this? <laughs> and and it just kind of was this wake up call with like, happiness is not what American society has created it to be. It's It's relative, right? And I do think having worked abroad and performed abroad has definitely given me that perspective of like, you choose what happiness is. But I do think with the golden handcuffs and working at Google, like it does, it could impact a person's happiness. I think if a person really, if money is important to them, if consistency, if predictability is important to a person, then it's amazing, right? Like I have friends that are so happily at nine to five, like that my schedule terrifies them. Like <laughs> best friend, uh, her name is Pega. She works in biotech and she looks at my schedule and is like, you're literally giving me a headache. And she's like, let me go back to my nine to five. And she's so happy doing what she does. And she's so, I don't know if I'm allowed to use cuss words, but I was going she's a badass. Like she's so good at what she does. Um, but, and she loves it. But like my lifestyle is, terrifying. So it is all relative. And this girl's traveled all around the world. So she knows, she knows that there's different definitions of happiness. So, so yeah, like in a way it's the golden handcuffs if that's what you want. But I do think it's important for people to travel, experience different cultures, see what happiness is to different people from different socioeconomic backgrounds and choose what happiness is for them. So I'm, I feel fortunate. Uh, and a lot of people actually ask me, they're like, what if you never knew about the circus? Like, what if you never traveled the world? Like, would you have been happy working in tech forever? I'm like, maybe, I don't know. But I'm really happy with where I'm at now. But who knows? It's all relative. Yeah, I think once you cultivate or once someone experiences certain lanes of truth or certain lanes of experience, it's like having an additional lens to view the world through. And after you see something, you can't unsee it anymore. So that question is, I think it's interesting, is if you never discovered this current pathway in your old trajectory, how happy would you have been? That's a funny but interesting question, right? But we don't know what we don't know. And once you make a decision, the world becomes infinitely more fascinating, especially 
through the lens of traveling, experiencing different culture. And I knew about your multicultural background or experiences. That's why I casted that question. Because I wanted to see how you incorporate different perspectives by creating this dichotomy, right? Versus where you are now versus what you've seen. Um, so speaking of different experiences and different cultures and different lanes of truth, uh, during our offline conversation last time, you talked about a lot of people come to you as this pivot guru, right? Because your pivoting story is very empowering and very unique. And as I said in the intro, I've heard countless pivoting stories, myself included. You talked about there's a lot of people who don't make a decisions, as you said, different circumstances, different settings. And I also want to preface that most of the listeners are privileged enough if you're listening to this podcast or watching this on YouTube. So none of us are dealing with dire circumstances. But of course, a lot of people work to live, whereas us, we live to work. That's a privilege. Can you recall any of the pretty amazing and powerful transformational stories or pivoting stories you've heard from people who are inspired by the decisions you've made, by the pathways that you chose? Because as you said, your best friend who works in a biotech, she like shivers when she sees your schedule. Like she's like, oh no, that's too much. I'm going to go back to my cocoon. But for someone who chose that lifestyle, because they're like, oh, I have to do this. Can you share any stories that come to mind in terms of the people who had the courage and the convictions to take a pivot. Yeah, absolutely. So as you've said, kind of this concept of this pivot or this transformation, it, like it's literally my mantra. Like I feel like I was put on this planet to hopefully help people find their way because um, I'm so grateful I found mine. But I'm like, in addition to that, like I love talking to people about this, empowering others, hopefully maybe inspiring others. Something that I do every year on my birthday is I put on this show. Um, it's called the Dream Circus Birthday Fundraiser Show. <laughs> and it started back in 2018, maybe 2017, where like so many students and, and I teach like trapeze and aerial and stretching at a bunch of different schools. So I have lots of different students in my community. And a lot of people have reached out to me for like, hey, can you grab coffee? I just want to pick your brain and I'm not happy doing what I'm doing. I want to that that old thing. And it's like such a common thing where it just kept coming to me. And I was like, this keeps coming to me. I'm like, I feel like there's there's something here. And I was just constantly pondering, like, what can I do to help all these amazing people who are great potential performers, but like I can't get them all work because they haven't worked. It's a sketch twenty-two where you can't work until you've got work. It's like an internship out of college. How do you get an internship unless you've had an internship? So very confusing with performing and people are very stuck. And I'm like, how do I help them? And it, it really bothered me to the point where one night I had this dream. It was so vivid. And in my dream, I still remember I have to close my eyes thinking about it. But I remember seeing like four different people who, who I had taken to coffee or had taken me to coffee. And I saw them performing in like beautiful costumes, lighting, makeup. And I was, and I like woke up and I was like, whoa, like, what was that? I'm like, I think I just dreamed of putting on a show for all these people who want to perform and see if this is something they want to do. And I just got kind of emotional again. I was like, well, what is this? So I remember going on Facebook that morning and just posting a, a like a, a post. I was like, hey guys, like I have this crazy dream that I put on a show for new performers, almost like an open mic for circus performers for an opportunity to perform. Would anyone be interested? And I posted that. And I had over a hundred responses. 
I was like, oh, there is a market for this. Like, whoa. So I was like, okay. So that's when I started the dream circus birthday. And it was basically my dream. That's why. And um, I started to like conceptualize it more and build out a program. And the first year I had maybe 15 performers. I had over 200 tickets sold at the venue. It was amazing. And I've done this every year since, including this year. I'm going to have a dream circus birthday show in two months. So stay tuned, everyone. I guess that'll be in August. But yeah, so I, I've been doing this and we started actually making a lot of money from it. So we started fundraising and donating it to different things. So we did one year for Planned Parenthood, very relevant right now. We did another fundraiser for the organization that I volunteered for in India. But anyway, this is the dream circus birthday show. It is my favorite, favorite thing. But to go back to your question, what this show has done for people, like I cannot be more grateful. Um, some examples is one of my favorite performers from, I shouldn't say one of my favorite performers. They're all my favorite. But one of the performers from the first show, her name is Andrea. And she she was just kind of figuring it out. We had gone that coffee and she's extremely talented. And I'm like, girl, like you should do this. Like you have the potential to do this and you've put in the work. You've trained. You're already there. I'm like, my recommendation is at this point, you can jump ship. You got to get that collateral, got to get photos, got to get videos, got to get the confidence and then go out there, apply for a program, right? Whether it's in Montreal um, or try to get a contract, like try to get a traveling contract, maybe with a resort, maybe with a cruise ship, whatever it might be. I'm like, I think you should do it. And she did the show, got amazing footage, literally got this like earth shattering photo of her where she's like, like she looks like a banana. That, that's not... <laughs> This like beautiful shape on the silks. That's a really hard trick. And it was like this perfect moment. And I was like, girl, take that and like run with that. She took the footage. She got accepted into NECA, which is an amazing circus program. And now she's performing with Cirque du Soleil in Vegas. She's on a new show. Well, she she actually traveled with Cirque. And now she's on a different show, like uh, the America's Got Talent uh, Vegas show. She's killing it. And like every time I see her, like I just, I have like, teardrop because I'm like she did it she totally did it and I just feel so like lucky to be a part of that process for her to have helped her get there and she's she's killing it you guys should all look her up online she's like ridiculous yeah wow the uh I just want to take a moment because I think as we talked about earlier a lot of creatives types who maybe come from a family background or cultural background where picking a path of high or most resistance, because that's what she did, that's what she did, it's not often recognized or honored. But I just want to take a moment to recognize this because the truth is, unless you're a white, a lot of minorities like us, our parents are not supportive. Our culture has never seen this before. They, don't, they have no reference points, no data points in their databases, so they just don't know. And it's hard to get this level of affirmations. But for you, it was Kevin, right? The amazing person who gave that voice. And for her, your former students, who's now doing amazing thing, you are that voice. We don't know what we don't know, but I think it's really amazing. Seriously. I think it's a perfect segue into the mentorship realm because everything you talked about is about mentorship. So for you, when your students, Adriana, you said? Uh, Andrea. An Andrea. So when Andrea took you out for coffee or other former students who took you out for coffee, because um, as you said, you're very busy. Your time and your effort is very finite. So A, the first question is, how do you not weed out because that sounds bad, but how do you maybe identify the it factor? 
because you talked about you told Andrea that hey you have the if factor you should leverage and pick a uh, jump the ship. What criterias or qualifiers contribute this if factor when you see your students because you're a veteran and you're now more and more so being the guiding light and guidance for a lot of younger folks who want to do what you do. So like what sort of qualifies into that qualifier for oh this is the if factor and what does that look like? That is such a good question. Um, so, well, first, anytime someone reaches out to me and asks me for advice on this, I, I have always said, yes, I will make time. Like this is a priority. I mean, I might not do it the day of, but I'll make time. Like there's a girl on Instagram who follows me. Her name is Ashley. She's been following me for years and she messaged me out of the blue and was like, Hey, I think I want to move to LA and be a performer. And I was like, Oh, okay, cool. Like, I don't know who you are. But sure. She's like, can we talk? I'm like, sure, let's do it. And it was the same thing. Had a phone call with her, talked about her dreams and goals. And she moved to LA and she's dancing. <laughs> she's like on the path. But anyway, point being, I'll talk to anyone. Um, anyone who genuinely wants, who's looking for a path and is at that fork in the road, like I, I want to help. The question of when I recommend people to jump ship or not, that is a very hard question. If, for one thing, it really comes, obviously, it comes down to the person and how much they want it. And I could feel that, right? There's the people that are like, I don't know, maybe this will make me happy. Like, maybe I should do this. Like, I don't know, my friends tell me I should do this. And I'm like, don't do it. <laughs> don't, do not, like, keep that Google job. Like, <laughs> I was like, you can massage every Friday, like, don't leave. But then the people that are like, I'm ready for this. Like, I, I know this is what I want. I, I'm willing to put in the work for it. I know I might not make money for a year or two. I know that this is a risk. Those are the people where I'm like, ooh, goosebumps. Like, okay, you're ready. You're ready. So like, it is, it's not even their skill level. Like, I've had people come to me who are extremely talented and they just weren't there. And I'm like, take your time. Take, take one more class a week. Try to teach once a week. Try to get one gig every four months. Perform at Burning Man. Like, figure something out. Like, test it out. And then there's people that maybe are not as skilled but have the potential to, but their heart is there and their commitment is there. I'm like, okay, go do it. So it doesn't even come down to the skill or the natural talent. It comes down to the willingness to learn and the readiness Honestly, like the financial readiness, like, can they do it? Like if it's someone straight out of college and they're like, I want to do this right away. Like I almost always say no, but I'm like, but still do what you want to do. I'm like, but like, I'm grateful that I had my two years working in tech, having enough savings to do this and having a fallback to go back to tech. If something terrible happens, heaven forbid, but to pretty much everyone, I, that's my same narrative. Like if they're coming from like no income, no background, no work experience, like I usually am encouraging, try to do some, not necessarily nine to five, but something that proves income, something that you could go back to in a worst case scenario. But some people won't listen and that's really good and they could be super successful and they'll kill it. I mean, there's also people that have asked me similar questions or that I've talked to. There's some girls that I work with. Um, my contortion coach, her name is Sergema. She's amazing. She's like Kevin like in that she is a mentor and like a catalyst in my life. And I freaking love her and look up to her so much, but she's the most amazing contortion coach. She has all these girls that she, she grows and she teaches. Um, and there's some of these 
ladies who are like they're they're not even teenagers yet and I've asked them like do you want to go to college like do you want to do circus and some of them are like I'm gonna do circus and I'm like you should actually like even though I'm like a person who really believes that going to a four-year college is is great but for some of these people I'm like you are so talented and so determined I'm like definitely follow that path and if you want to go back to school later or do a different job later by all means do it but like it, it is all relative like every advice that I give is really based on the person primarily again on their heart their passion and skill level it is a factor like if you're like in the top one percent I'm like go like please go right now but if you're anywhere else there I'm like it, it just depends on the person so skill sets is a factor but not the factor Right. It doesn't necessarily translate to it factor necessarily. Absolutely. Gotcha. Yeah. And I think that's what makes you a great mentor, Christine, because you do very intentionally contextualize each piece of advice based on who the recipients are. And I think that's why people respect you and adhere to your advices. Because now, especially with internet, podcasting, or whatever, everyone and their mothers have piece of advice on things they don't really fully understand. That's why the world is burning down but you actually contextualize the container and then you're like, hey, this is my thoughts based on my perception of who you are. And everyone needs to contextualize their feedback from whoever they're seeking advice from. Like I will never listen to a feedback by someone who sure cares about me, but never had a podcast or never has any creative avenue for themselves. Then what gives you the right to give me feedback? You've never done this before. That's very important, especially in 2022. Totally. One size does not fit all. For yeah, sure. Yeah. And if it ever does, you should be very suspicious of that, right? Totally. Uh, aside from Andrea, some of the other success stories that were sort of groomed or encouraged by you. So it's not about that success stories, but just in your own life. If you have your own Mount Rushmore of the greatest influences or the greatest success stories, they could be from your arts background, they could be from non circus related. Uh, do you have any, uh, what are some of the most success stories? Or the one of some of the best success stories that you know in your own life that keeps you grounded, just as how you are a grounding mechanism for a lot of mentees you're raising up. So thinking about people who inspire me, people who have kind of made their own pivots and decisions, you know, I'm going to kind of answer this question a little sideways because it like this person keeps popping in my head, but I'm like, this isn't really answering the question, but but it's it's relevant to me. Um, so there's a person in my life who's probably the most impactful in my career, past Kevin, after I got to San Francisco, um, where this person has literally been like my life Sherpa. Um, like literally any decision I make, he's somehow there and involved or creates it. Um, so his name is Scott, Scott Cameron. He, uh, when I first got to San Francisco, he was running the flying trapeze program at the circus center. And, and he hired me as a teacher. Um, but he's the kind of person who cares so much about his students and his mentees that he, he was the first person to be like, Christine, like you should be performing in San Francisco. And I'm like, yeah, but like, it's just different performing on a contract versus performing locally is a completely different ball game. And it, it's honestly terrifying to, to make that switch. And that's a whole nother topic, but he was the first one to be like, hey, like, train with this person. Here's a good person to ask about costumes, like, actually helped guide me. And the next thing he did was, in a very sweet way, he's like, Christine, 
you're not going to physically going to be like this forever. Like you're not. And he's like, you should really get into acting. I'm like, thanks God. (laughs) Like, thanks a lot. But he was one of the first people to actually get me my first acting gig, my first modeling and acting gig. And it was uh, with an amazing guy, Ben, who runs a like a creative company. And, and I was a game character on a Zynga game. Um, he was the first to kind of even push me in that direction. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, like, thank you so much. And now, like, it's a huge part of my life. Um, so this person just no matter what is always like, looking at me, looking at my potential and just kind of like, what's that thing on the bowling alley? Those bumpers, bumpers. the bumpers. He's, he's like my life bumpers. Like he's always just bringing me in the right direction. Um, and he himself is super inspiring. And if he's listening to this, he's going to be laughing. He's just like, I'm not inspiring, but no, you are Scott. Um, he, he also went to UC Berkeley. He also worked in the same contract that I did, but he worked there for like 20 years. And then he was running the stories program. And he, uh, along with someone else named Graham, who's awesome, they had started a trapeze company, Trapeze World. Uh, and they were one of the first large, amazing agencies that booked talent, put on huge shows. He hired me for a bunch of things. Um, so he's an entrepreneur and he has been a person to follow his heart. So he's been inspiring to me, but he's also literally inspired me and empowered me to take so many of my career pivots and steps and really help me get to a place where I could actually scale what I do, be able to make a living from it and continue loving what I'm doing. So, so yeah, so I would say Scott is the, the first person who pops in my head. I, I literally like couldn't answer the question because I'm like, all I could think of is Scott. <laughs> so yes, very, very grateful for mentors and people who inspire us in our lives. Yeah. So to summarize, sounds like on your own personal Mount Rushmore of success, Kevin and Scott are two giant stony faces on that Mount Rushmore, right? Absolutely. I can see them right there. (laughs) Yeah. I think uh, I loved your bumpers analogy because I think there's two different types of inspirational people. One who inspire you to do something, right? Or makes you want to replicate what they do. Because from what you see afar, you're like, oh, I respect this person deeply. I want to replicate or mimic their path. That's one. The second type of inspirational people I think about is people who instill possibilities in your life that you didn't even foresee before until that person came along. And to me, it sounds like it's what Scott did for you, right? Because up until he became the bumpers of the bowling alley, you are maybe bowling straight, but he's like, no, no, you can actually bowl this way and hit the bumpers a few times who create an entire new possibilities. And those people are really, really rare. And those are probably the best mentors is not necessarily teaching you what they know, but creating new path for you. Absolutely. He is exactly that. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, man, you've had a, I mean, obviously you're a great mentor for a reason, but I think your mentorship with the type of mentor you are is uh, symptoms or byproduct or reflections of the mentorship you've had throughout your journey. And I think that's why great mentors usually comes from a great lineage of mentors as well. Yeah. So with that, I made you feel pretty good as a mentor because I want to set up the stage to uh, hit something more emotionally fraught and potentially vulnerable topics. So I think balancing is a big topic of our conversations, right? Balancing your circumstances with your calling, balancing your own context with the feedback you receive. How do you personally, Christine, balance the immense pressure that comes with this 
genetic markers that we cannot choose, aka being Korean American America versus the bliss that comes with following your call, calling wholeheartedly. How do you balance that two different forces? Yeah, the topic of balancing my family expectations and culture and how I've lived my life is a very, frankly, sensitive one. Uh, and it's a, it's, it's a hard one. But I think I might have to just kind of go backwards in time and just talk about a little bit about my upbringing to put some context in this. So I grew up in Orange County. It was pretty homogenous and there were no Koreans where I was from. Maybe two, <laughs> maybe two others, but it was a uh, pretty homogenous, pretty conservative. And yeah, so that, that was an interesting place for Koreans to raise a daughter expecting me to be very Korean culturally, to speak Korean, to marry a Korean guy, to cook Korean food, to eat, like just be all the Korean. Then when I got to junior high, high school, that's when I was like, I want to be a cheerleader. And of course the answer was absolutely not, but I still somehow went to the audition. I got in and at my school, cheerleading was actually very prestigious. We were one of the top squads in the nation. I think we're like number nine in the nation, number one in the state, like really competitive to get in. And they were like, absolutely not. But I, I kind of reasoned with them. I was like, Hey, do you remember Tiffany or Lindsay? And they're like my, like my mentors in my high school. I was like, they were cheerleaders and they got into Stanford and UCLA. Why do you think I'm not going to be successful if I'm a cheerleader? And my mom actually was like, okay. I was like, this, this will be good for my cover letter. And this will be good on my resume. And I need to be well-rounded. And they finally were like, okay, so I did it. So that was kind of my first like pushing the barrier. So then again, life happened, was a cheerleader, um, almost got into college with a Fulbright scholarship with cheerleading. They're like, no, like go for academics. And I was actually fine. I was like, sure, sure. I'll go to Berkeley. I love Berkeley. So it worked out, went to Berkeley, worked in Microsoft. And then this is when trapeze became a part of my life. My mom knew that it was like, like a hobby at that point. And then when I came to the moment of like, I'm going to jump ship, right? Like, this is what I'm going to do. I was like, oh, I'm going to be in big trouble. <laughs> like, this is like, I'm laughing nervously, but I was not laughing then. Like, I was not okay then. I was terrified. So what I did, because my, I know how my parents are, is I faxed them a PowerPoint deck. Faxed, because this was the time. It was like in 2000 and, 2008. Um, and I put together a PowerPoint deck on how people make risks in their career, therefore making them more successful in their jobs, like the X factor. And I had a whole slide on like Bill Clinton and how he got to where he was and Bill Gates and like just went through all these different scenarios of how people have taken turns in their career, therefore making them more successful. <laughs> so I did this whole thing and this whole chart and an apology letter saying this is what I'm doing I'm sorry I know it's probably not what you want for me but like don't worry Microsoft says that this is technically a sabbatical and I could go back anytime and I'm gonna do this I told them for one or two years and I'm like and then I'll be back like let me just do this so I remember sending this to them <laughs> I don't want to say too many specifics but let's just say they were not very happy so there was some space in my family and I and I did what I did and I'm so glad I did because during the time it was rough but when I came back, I immediately got a job. And this is after my amazing two years living abroad, traveling, doing my thing. And I pretty quickly got like a job offer at like Facebook, AdMob, which was acquired by Google. And, and that's where I was. So I, I immediately got those, thank goodness. And I remember sending the offer letters to my family and they were like, oh, 
God. (laughs) She hasn't completely lost it. And I'm like, well, I love that that's what I have to do for validation, but I get it. Culturally, that is what is normal for them. But for me, I'm like, I'm just going to do it. So anyway, fast forward, I've worked in tech and now I'm doing circus fan full time. And I am very careful with how I communicate with my family, but like my family understands, I think they understand more of who I am, that whatever I put my heart to, hopefully I'll be successful and hopefully I'll be okay. And if I hit that point with a whole calculated risk conversation where I'm not going to be okay, I'll figure something else out. And I hope I don't ever go back to tech, but who knows? There might be a day where physically I can't perform and I end up running an entertainment agency or sales training for circus and entertainment companies. Like who knows what that might be? But I I think given my background, there's a lot that I could do. And again, this is why I kept saying, you know, when I talk to mentees or people that are looking into this, I'm like, make sure you're safe. Like make sure that you have something to fall back on. And I feel fortunately that there's enough things that I could potentially fall back on that I'll be okay. And I think my family finally understands that I have that as well. So they've kind of just let me be. So moral of the story is it was rough. I'm actually not saying as negative as the negative moments were. And anyone out there who has a strict family and has taken you know something off the bean path probably understands that. Like it was hard and frankly depressing and lonely, but I'm still so glad I did it because I was still kind. I was still communicating. I was still there for my family for birthdays, Father's Day, Mother's Day, all that. I was still effusively a loving daughter, even though I did something different. And now we're at a point where there's just kind of a mutual respect and everything is okay. Again, they would still prefer me to be a doctor right now, married to a current doctor, but, (laughs) but I am very happy with the path I took and I'm so happy in my life and they feel that. And I I do believe that they would prefer for me to be happy and doing something versus being extremely unhappy doing what they want. Uh, We we have a, a decent balance now. As we talked about earlier in the first half of the interview, a lot of people like you who chose the path of most resistance, who chose your calling above all else, above external chatters and noises, every single one of them, like I've interviewed more than 80 public figures by now, every single one of them have had some sort of affirmative moments along that path. For some, it came sooner, for some, it came later, but every single one of them can recall numerous moments where God or universe told them, hey, you're on the right path, keep going. And that's a feeling that only people who chose this path understands. It's a magical, unspeakable feeling. And yeah, it's awesome, seriously. Last thing I wanted to talk about is the documentary Cheer. And a lot of my athlete friends, because I play football throughout, they're like, hey, you should watch this. I was like, about cheerleading? What could it be? And this was a couple years ago. I watched it. I was like, wow. The athletic abilities of these cheerleaders demonstrate on the mat or on whatever. I was like, dang. So much profound respect for cheerleaders, seriously. Because you talked about you went through one of the most prestigious cheerleading schools or program. And- it's so competitive. It's crazy. I mean, it's even crazier now. And back then it was crazy. So yeah, no, it's, it's a great training ground for any kind of performance, any performance path, or frankly, any team path. Because you're working really closely together and trusting one another and growing together. That was one of the most insane documentaries I've seen, seeing these teenagers and even adolescents doing insane things with their bodies or flexibilities. And I can never, it hurts when I do yoga. So that, that, that shows where, where I am at with my flexibility. 
So on that note, I want to dive a little bit deeper in terms of the emotional aspect. So you talked about you've been doing this for so many years and emotions are transient. We know that, right? Sometimes you wake up feeling better than the other times and it's not necessarily because of what you did. So in terms of the seasonality of life, do you do anything to balance your own mental health throughout? Because as you said, it's a gig economy, right? You're very gig based. Of course, you deal with a lot of uncertainties, but sometimes it's worse than the others. Anything comes up for you? Absolutely. The ups and downs of gig life. The last two years have been the most challenging for the entire performance community. Not even a vibe. Like I was really questioning, like, did I make a really bad decision and jumping ship? Like, should I go back to tech right now? Like, am I going to be okay? <laughs> like, if this is going to be a masked life or we're social distance for the rest of my life, I'm like, I cannot actually survive. But anytime that we go through a struggle or a trauma, it, it, it's similar to what I was saying earlier about perspective on happiness. Like it's up to us to figure out how do we get out of this? And is there an opportunity in the darkness? Like, is there a way to actually turn this into a business opportunity or growth opportunity? So went down to LA and I started thinking, okay, what do I do with all my students? Is there a way for me to continue doing what I do, but virtually? So I started like a virtual stretching program because I, I used to teach a lot of stretching classes at the circus center and different schools. And it started like similar to my whole dream circus birthday thing. I just put it online. I was like, hey, on Facebook. But I started a virtual stretching class with anyone want to join. And again, massive response. And I was like, oh, oh, there's a market for this. So I started with one class and like, 40 people showed up. I was like, whoa, that's like more than my normal classes. Then I was like, okay, I'll do another class. And then it started getting weird. At a certain point, I had like maybe four classes a day and I started theming them. So I'd have like a Britney Spears class. Everyone's <laughs> in dressed as like their favorite Britney Spears thing. And then, and then I had like single stretching class where we'd have like wine afterwards. <laughs> I just started theming everything. And like, it was so Fun. And at that point, I was actually able to make a decent living from stretching classes, which is crazy because I'm like, I would never have done this. But like the universe threw me a curveball, threw all of us a curveball. And then we found an opportunity to do this. And then at the same time, because I come from more technical background, I was able to do this, but I have a lot of performer friends who couldn't. So I actually started doing Zoom training sessions for other teachers to help them start classes as well. So that was like a big part for me where I'm like, I don't want to just do it all. I'm like, I want everyone to be able to benefit from this opportunity. Like there are so many students that cannot take classes in person. Like, let's make this big. Like, again, it just got so creative and weird. I had this like pull up class where like I would teach like pull up combinations on a bar and like it started going viral on TikTok and I started getting work from that. So just again, like when there's darkness and there's a loss of hope, like there has to be an opportunity for something and it's mindset and it's drive and it is honestly, it was hitting rock bottom to make me get off my butt and do something different, right? I was like, I can't just sit here and be depressed. Like I got to do something. I am grateful for the changes it made in my life. I'm grateful that I came to LA. I'm grateful that I scaled out my stretching program. It's still there. If you go to stretchwithklee.com, it's still there. I'm teaching less now that there's more in-person ones, but it's still there. I had over, I think a thousand members and I had like students in over 20 countries. Like I even drew a map with like little stretching emojis of where they got into. Like I had consistent students in Australia and Switzerland. It was so cool. Like it completely rocked my world. So that happened. And also coming down to LA, I was like, okay, I'm going to double up on acting stuff. 
So I started doing more auditions, found an agent. And like, again, my life has completely changed. So to answer your original question, what do you do with the ups and downs? It's like, hey, go with the downs. It's normal. It's life. We can't always just be happy. Maybe if you're a monk, you're happy all the time. But I, I was like, like, okay with hitting that low. I mean, obviously not in the moment. But now when I look back, I'm like that was a launching pad to learn so much more and do so much more. And I'm just so grateful for that. So, so yeah, I think the learning is, yes, there are ups and downs. But when there are those downs, that is the perfect opportunity to find that. What's that bird that rises from the ashes? The, uh, phoenix. The phoenix. Yes. It's a moment to be a phoenix and rise from the ashes and, and find something that might even be more exciting than that's very thematic given you're wearing a red dress and Phoenix and Phoenix is red. But of course, like from that story, it's amazing that you're able to capitalize and seize the opportunity, even though the opportunity is within a very dark place. You still caught a glimpse of the light and you did something about it. And that's a choice we talk about in clinical therapy is we always have a choice, a say a decision that we can make. It's not going to change our life overnight. But even with addiction, right, you can always replace cigarettes with candy. Sure, they're similarly unhealthy choices. But the point is you always have a say in doing that. And that's where the power comes from. It's from within, right? As a clinicians, we can do a certain things. And we know the expertise and theories and different approaches. But life is changed by the person, not by us ever. And I sense that from your story. And also, I sense a strong theme of business acumen that you've had. Because as you said, you were able to integrate the technical aspect of your background into this dark societal situations with service industry that you alluded to just completely went dark. But you did something about that. Having 1,000 members on Zoom doing wine stretching Wednesdays or uh, pull-up bar stretching, whatever that may be, I, that's insane. 1,000 people. The power of masses. Like I was like covered on NBC, like people were reaching out to me for interviews. And I was like, this is crazy. <laughs> like anything could go viral. Anything could blow up. It's so nuts. Aside from your business acumen, I sense a very strong threat of your value or your integrity and in your ability to build other people up. Because when you found this golden nugget through Zoom, teaching stretches on Zooms, you became financially stable through that. A lot of your peers and friends weren't able to do the same because of their lack of technical acuity, so to speak. You didn't say, aha, look at you guys. I'm doing well, but you guys are struggling because a lot of business folks tend to be cutthroat and zero sum. You went opposite. You're like, wow, I'm doing great for myself. Let me build others up as soon as possible. Let me teach them how to fish like the Bible so they can fish for themselves. Where do you think that comes from? Like, why are you so not afraid to build other people up alongside with you rather than trying to be the tallest building by tearing everyone else down? I'm obsessed with it. I'm actually obsessed with giving back. I know it sounds so weird to say that, but like the last couple of years, I've volunteered an organization called Health Right 360. And I help folks that are in a transitional phase that are coming out of prison or off the streets to help them get jobs, housing. Because um, I know I have the background with resume building and getting interviews and mock interviews, that kind of thing. So like, I know I have that and I'm so fortunate. I'm like, I just want to share that. So I, I'm so grateful to my parents for like, instilling that in me so, so early on. And then once anyone does that and is empathetic and feels how it impacts others, like it changes everything. And yeah, so I would say that kind of theme and that that feeling inside of me is what I integrate into every single part of my life. Uh, and 
And I feel very fortunate for that. So yeah, so specifically about the stretching thing, it, it is funny because a lot of people would like message me and be like, so how do you, I was like, let's get on Zoom right now. I'm like, I'm going to show you. I'm like, I'm like, I was fortunate to have worked in tech and be a total nerd. I could teach you all of this, right? I'm going to help make you a bit.ly link that goes to your link, whatever, whatever it might be. Um, and like, I'm so happy to share that. And just to dive a little deeper into this, cause I know we're ending on time. I, there is like one topic that I I'm dying to share about, which is actually about my circus troupe and the, for me, the importance of community and teamwork and building each other up. So within the circus community, as you said, like it was so important for me to share that knowledge with others. But in general, like, I, I don't like doing anything alone. <laughs> like, like, I actually hate being alone. Like, I never want to be, it sounds so weird. I don't like to be the best. I don't want to be the tallest tree. Like, I'd rather be a bush with all my bush friends. Like, I like to stand out. And people are like, don't you love attention? You're a performer. I'm like, I actually don't. Like, in a show, I don't want to be the best performer. I love being, like, in the middle. So then there's people I could look up to and we're a family, right? Like, I, I don't. It sounds so strange. I don't like to stand out. In my group of friends, when we all go out, I don't like to stand out. I just like to be in the mix. So what really changed the second part of my circus career? So I, I think I talked a lot about leaving Microsoft, doing circus full-time then, and then coming back. And then I talked about Scott Cameron and how I was doing circus part-time. But then I quit again, right? 2017 is where my whole life changed again. And the biggest catalyst there was that I I was already performing. Like there are a few people who I would work with here and there, but like I was still pretty alone. And I still love circus, but I I realized I'm like, there, there's an opportunity here where when I'm working with other people, I'm even happier and I want to do it more. And I started working with a few different people. So there's one person in particular, Nina Sawan, and I met her through the Vesper Team Circus, which is who I also mentioned earlier. And we did a show together. And she was amazing. And I just I had like girl crush. I'm like, oh my gosh, she's so amazing. And I remember looking at her being like, oh, we're about the same height and the same weight. I'm like, we could do doubles work. And in circus and aerial, if anyone knows, like there's a lot of doubles work or triple or, or whatever, like ensemble kind of work. And I, I kind of like asked her out. I was like, after the show, I was like, you're like amazing. I'm like, would you consider doing like some duo work together? And she was like, well, actually, um, you know, I'm working with some other people and do a work. Like, what if we all work together and just saw? And I was like, sure, of course. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and the other two girls were people that I already knew and loved in the community. And we happened to be four of the only minority female performers in the Bay Area. Because most performers, it is a very homogenous industry, uh, at least in California. And we are the only four, like, minority females. There's a few more, so I shouldn't say the only, but we were some of the only. And we started working together and we started to create group acts and we just had so much fun. We're like, this is amazing. Like, if I did this for the rest of my life, I could not be happier. And we're like, what if we, what if we created something? What if we created a troop or company? And we started brainstorming. We started coming up with different ideas and logos. And then we all started to realize that between the four of us, we all had such different skill sets that we could really complement one another. Like, Terry was the most amazing contortionist and Angela is the most amazing silks artist, but she's also a graphic designer and she knows UX UI. And Nina is this insane choreographer and costume designer and has so much on the creative side. She went to fashion school. And for me, I'm a business person. I could do marketing and sales and grow out the business. And the four of us just kind of looked at each other. We're like, should we do this? 
And for me, the love of working with friends and being able to do what we love and build a business and make a living, like literally was a dream come true. Like, I never want to be the one who stands out between the four. I want us to all stand out together. I want us all to grow together. So it is it is my mantra for me to build others up and to grow together. Like, we could all succeed more together. And I, if there wasn't a troop, I honestly don't think I'd be performing this much. I don't think I'd be pushing for, for solo performance, but I love selling the Dahlias. That's the company name. We're called Dahlias Entertainment. Um, like from a sales standpoint, like I do PowerPoint decks. I pitch the Dahlias to different venues and wedding planners or whoever. And, and I love it because I could pitch this group and this community and raise others and hire people the right way, pay people the right way and do it the way that I would want to be treated. And I just, I just love it. So I know this is a very long winded answer to your question, but yes, I, I, it is, it fills my heart to help others. And this troop and this family and this sisterhood of these amazing women, like we have so much fun together. And I'm, I'm just so grateful that, that we have that community and, and we could grow and support each other. Yeah, you actually stole it out of my mouth. I intentionally saved that piece to close out the episode to see the final and the most prevalent fireworks and intersections of your business and your art, which is your Dalia's Entertainment Group. And you're very being humble too. I, I recall you telling me last time offline that your troop grew to 108 or 100 plus artists and talents you signed to your group. Yeah, we have over 100 performers in our portfolio, and it's everyone. Like, we have stilt walkers, sword swallowers, we have jugglers, we have magicians. Like, it's amazing. And that's one of the most fun parts about the job is anytime I'm going out and gigging and performing, like, it's networking, and it's networking to help others and to create art. Like, it's so fun, actually. So, yeah, we're, we're as a company, doing really well, and we've, especially this year, like, we've gone some of the biggest gigs like we just put on a massive show for nascar like nascar hired us to have entertainment we've opened for doja cat we've opened for john party like big artists and yeah it's it's been insane like we've had such a good time really scaling out the business and having fun doing it and like every time you smile your oozing passion shines through the screens it's almost like palpable and that's how I know it's genuine. And just to highlight something that you said as well, that you don't want to be the, the tallest tree. You want to be in the bush with your bush friends. Another a funny analogy, but now it makes sense. The I know that's genuine, Christine, because even when I saw the pictures in your portfolios of the Dahlia's entertainment group, you're never in the center of the pictures. You're actually on the edge. You're the third and fourth one in the pictures because if you chose this path to be the spotlight 24-7, you would be in the center of every single picture. That's just natural, but that's not who you are so i think it's rare to find people builder like yourself especially in 2022 it's so saturated everything's so competitive everyone and their mothers have content and creative path now so how do you stand out from that i think a lot of people will pick the path of keeping every secret to themselves and once they make it then maybe they'll uphold some folks they care about but you're like no let's come up together from beginning till the end and that's very powerful with that being said, you're wearing the red. You're talking about Phoenix rising from the ashes. So, and and here is the <laughs> and here is the red carpet for you, Christine. Uh, where could people book you? Find your projects, your amazing performance, your portfolio, everything in between. Awesome. So easiest way to contact me directly for just me, Christine, is probably on Instagram. As Benoit knows, I actually respond. So, <laughs> or as he says. 
follow and then message because that'll work better. It is very true. Um, it's Christine Lee Cirque. So C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-E-L-E-E-C-I-R-Q-U-E. That's me. And then my troop is the Dahlia's Entertainment. So the Instagram is Dahlia's Entertainment. D-A-H-L-I-A-S Entertainment. We're called the Dahlia's because it is the San Francisco flower, which is really sweet. And we just love flowers and floral things. And just to talk a little bit about what we actually do, just so people know. So the Dahlia's, we are a circus troupe and company. uh, And we basically put on entertainment for really anything. Lots of corporate gigs. So if you work at a company and you're having a holiday party and you want champagne being poured as you enter from the ceiling or from a chandelier, that's what we do. We also do a lot of festivals. We do a lot of weddings. We do really everything like immersive shows, music, like any music videos, like really across the board. Anytime you want some kind of circus entertainment, it might not necessarily be me or Nina or any of the founders, but within our company and church, we have it all. So if you want anything like that, definitely reach out. We will do it with all of our hearts. As hopefully you could tell from this, uh, from this podcast that, that we love what we do. So you'll definitely see it on stage. Yeah. And to the listeners, to add additional note, I watch her NASCAR performance closely on stories. And it's, it's cool stuff. And you see the real-time reactions of people who may be witnessing this for the first time. The stargazing in their eyes, it's, it shows through even through a small screen like your phone. So I strongly encourage people to check her out because I wanted to focus more on Christine because you're the guest, but that's a huge part of who you are and it does represent your venture as well. So encourage people, as always, link all the information in the episode description so people can follow you, check you out, and even book you for the gigs if they feel called to. So to conclude this wonderful conversation with you, Christine, I want to hit you with a twofold question of the discover more question. The first one is whether in your personal or professional life, what's an area or domain you want to discover more about after this very insightful conversation? And the second fold of that question is what is an area in our listeners' lives that you want to encourage or even challenge for them to discover more about? Frankly, as I was kind of talking about all this, as I mentioned, I've been volunteering like my whole life, whether it's been at an old folks home or with different organizations. Like for me, giving back is so important. And I know I'm putting on the birthday show, so I'm fundraising for that. So I'm actually actively searching for a new place of service in LA. So if anyone out there is listening and you work for an organization, for some reason, whatever my skill set is could help you, please let me know. Um, that is something that is a priority for me is to find another way to serve, whether it's mentorship or something, something in that realm. This actually was almost like a wake up call of me being like, this is so important to me. And I actually paused it. And for those who are like, I want to find my circus or I want to find my underwater water basket weaving. I think a really good thing is like signing up for something like like a class pass, but for life, right? Like doing a different activity, like finding an accountability activity partner, like literally every week or every month, just doing something new, right? Go, traveling and trying scuba diving, right? Whatever it might be, like, you know, make a list, make a Google Doc of all the things you want to do and start scheduling, start looking them up, start looking them around or putting it out like vulnerably on social media with like, hey, I want to, I want to do something new. Like, does anyone want to bring me to the next thing that they love doing? And amazing things happen. Like there's definitely like everyone out there has a passion or could find that. 
And it's like, again, so important for me to help friends and people around me find that. But I feel like everyone out there is listening. Like there is a way to do that. And if you don't think you could find it, it's kind of like what I was saying about sales. Like you're not going to try one thing and it doesn't work. That That's not the end all be all. Try a hundred things, right? Maybe 10 of them you like. So I guess that's, yeah, that would be my recommendation is try to find that thing and then find the life balance around that. And even the journey there is pretty exciting. Yeah, I'm going to discover more about underwater basket weaving after this interview ends on YouTube to see what it entails. But even in the clinical field, it's funny to me that a lot of people come to me saying that, hey, Benoit, or I don't believe in therapy because my therapist didn't work out from X amount of years ago. I ask, so you only try out one doctor as your primary care. And if you don't like that doctor, you're never going to trust medicine or doctors as a whole. Oh, man, great analogy. That, oh my gosh, that's so good. <laughs> yeah, just like when you said, when people message you, like, Christine, I've tried everything. Nobody wants me. How many did you try? So, and usually the people who come to me with similar sentiment, I my first question they ask is, have you tried X? And they're like, oh, oh, I've never actually tried that. I was like, then that's not everything. It's not even something. It's you tried a few. And I don't want a, a single bad apple to ruin the entire basket for you. And because as, man, I love when you said this, view it like class pass before life. I think that venturing this adventurous spirit is so advantageous. And once you apply that ethos of class pass before life and just try out one more thing, ask one more question, that's what you discover more is. You get to discover more what's on the other side. And life gets really exciting. And I feel a lot of listeners hate these questions because all my guests said the exact same thing. Discover more about what you love, your passion. But that's the people I, I try to recruit and have on the show. And if you know that almost 80 different people from high caliber, from different walks of life, say the same encouragement, you know, that's true. That's, that's what truth is. It, it withstands the iterations of time. And for the listeners, Christine is very genuine about her being a savant of volunteering since age eight, because at her birthday event, as she told me every year, she donates the, to good causes like Planned Parenthood or nonprofit or other agency or causes she believes in. So she definitely practices what she preaches and she preaches what she practices, which is not what a lot of people could do. But as, as we're coming to the end, Christine, do you have any parting words uh, to the listeners before I close this out? I mean, I would say thank you to you for having these topics, having these honestly tough questions and conversations and bringing this content to people out there. And, and thank you for reaching out to me. I, I love sharing these stories and I am hoping that it could help whoever, if anything. And yeah, just thank you for doing this. And, and thanks again for having me. And to all the listeners, uh, as always, I really appreciate you for hopping on this week's of Train of Discover More with us. And I hate to say this every time, but my current analytics on YouTube shows that about 65, 70% of the viewers are not subscribed. So please press the subscribe, like, and share this with anyone if you found any value. If you didn't, don't share. But if you did, please share this with a friend. That's how I keep this as pure as possible without monetizing the listeners. Um, with that, I'll, I'll link all the information in the show notes. And as always, thank you for discovering more with us. And as always, hope to see you again next time. Thank you. Thank you.